West Bowles, good morning. Uh, before I begin, I'd like to thank Ryan for so accurately telling that story the way it actually happened earlier. He, uh, he forgot I was welding a monster truck in our living room with my left hand while all that was going on. So, uh, well, enough of that. Let's uh, get to the sermon. Question, do we have any runners in here? Runners? I don't mean like you run 100 yards and, and like that's it. But like we maybe need to get you checked out because you enjoy running so far, right? Any runners? Half marathoners, marathoners. Okay. So you'll appreciate this. It was um, my uh, sophomore year at Columbine High School. And somebody came up to me. It was about a month before the school year began. And they came up to me and they said, Nathan, you should think about running cross country. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a no-brainer. I've got the legs of a gazelle and, and the body of a cheetah and the lungs of a racehorse. I'm, I'm the human version of a galloping gazeta, okay? So, um, yeah, it makes sense. We'll totally do it. Until about a month into the season, I thought, oh, no. One day, the coach, he, uh, it, was, it was after school ended, and we were out. Uh, there's a park right across the street from Columbine, and that's where we would stretch and warm up and then go on our run for the day. And so we're out there, and he said, okay, today we're going to do, uh, we're going to get a bit of a foundation, a foundation, okay? So if you can make this run today, you will have a foundation for the rest of the season. You'll be able to point back at it. You'll be able to say, hey, I made it through that, so I can make it through anything. And so let me, let me show you the route that he mapped out for us, okay? So you start at Columbine High School. You'll see it up here. You go south on Pierce, south on Pierce, all the way to Chatfield, okay? If you're familiar with the, this area, that is, oh man, like my stomach, like even right now, I'm, I'm kind of, whew, okay. So you're going to go to Chatfield, you're going to turn left, and you're going to follow Chatfield. Actually, you're going to be on there long enough for it to turn into a different street name, even though it'll be the same street. So it's going to turn into Platte Canyon, and then you're going to take a left on Ken Carroll Avenue, head back west, and then when you meet Pierce, you're going to run back to Columbine. I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I need, I need a, uh, that distance, do you, how long do you think that is? Five? Six? 7.1 miles. 7.1 miles. Okay, I need a bathroom break before I even start that. I'm going to need water breaks along the way, probably an IV with electrolytes at some point. Okay, I'm going to need somebody whispering encouragement into my ear, probably coffee along the way, and a medal at the end of it. And that's just if I drive that, okay? <sighs> you, want, you want us to run that? So, we're going to come back to this story this morning, all right? But let me pause there, and let's talk about us for a minute. What's your first reaction if that, if that route is given to you to run? I mean, a couple of you in here, the runners are like... Let's do this. Okay, the rest of you are like, no, not happening, not even getting through it. Forget it. And you want to know why? Because there is, today is actually the last giant in our Overcome series that we're talking about. We'll wrap everything up next week. But there is a giant in our lives that we all love. We actually kind of like that this giant is there, I think. And we kind of started hitting on it a couple weeks ago. Complacency, it's kind of related to this one. But it's the giant of comfort. Because we all have comfort zones that we don't want to get out of. And I get it. I mean, I don't want to run that route, right? And so 
Today, I want us to talk about the giant of comfort because it's a giant unlike maybe the, the giant of fear that we talked about or anger. This giant doesn't shout, and he does not need to make his presence known. If anything, the giant of comfort wants to fly under the radar, and he wants to lull us into a comfort zone so that we don't realize what is happening, whether it's in our faith, in our life, any area, it's the giant of comfort. And so to talk about that, I want us to land in this story this morning. If you've got your Bibles, it's 1 Kings chapter 12, and uh, it'll be on the screen as well. But in 1 Kings chapter 12, what's going on there, it, uh, the people have been severely, severely um, just beat down. It's just, they've been, it's been years of conscripted labor, and it's hard manual labor, and none of it is comfortable for them whatsoever. And in addition to that, the nation has been divided into two. You'll see a map up here. The nation's been divided into two. So you have a northern kingdom of Israel, and you have a southern kingdom of Judah. Not only are there two sections now to the nation, but there are two capitals. Shechem, as you see up there in the blue, and Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, even though the nation had been divided, God made it clear, my people are to come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship me. That'll be proper worship. And so he made it clear they're to cross the border and to come worship in Jerusalem. But in addition to that, Israel now has two kings. They've got one named Rehoboam who, who rules over Judah. He was the son of Solomon, and he really ruled with an iron fist. The people, the people really were crying out from all this hard labor that they, they had had to go through. And Rehoboam said, you thought my dad was bad. Wait till you deal with me. And so he continued this harsh labor. And then you have Jeroboam. King Jeroboam in the northern kingdom in Shechem. And Jeroboam, he sees what the people have been going through. And as soon as he took reign as king in Shechem in the northern kingdom of Israel we see his own discomfort and his own insecurity come up. And so that's where, where we're going to dive in because I think there's an insight here that shows us exactly how the giant of comfort works, but also what's at stake, not just for them, but for you and me. And so take a look. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. It says, Then Jeroboam fortified Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there he went out and built up Penuel. Now, isn't this interesting? The second, the second he's given control of something, he does the same thing that you and I like to do. He fortified it. He put walls up. He put up defenses. He's saying, nobody's coming in here. I have control of this now. Well, it continues. Verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. In other words, Jeroboam in his mind is already thinking, oh man, it's, it's already going to go downhill for me. He already anticipates and expects that he knows how it's going to go. The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. In other words, I think Rehoboam in Judah is going to get control of this whole place again. So I've got to put up my defenses. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to him. Now, the reason this statement is a really big deal is because one chapter before this, one chapter before, uh, Jeroboam had actually received a promise from God himself. Look at this promise that he was given. It's in chapter 11, verse 
38. If you do whatever I command and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you and I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. Have you ever, have you ever had a guarantee? Have you ever been given a promise that just can't fail? That's what Jeroboam's getting right now. I remember it was probably 10, 12 years ago, I had somebody come to me and they said, Nathan, okay, I have a, uh, an investment. It's a stock I want you to check out, okay? And um, I thought, okay, that's great. You know, thinking long term. Um, I, want you to, I want you to purchase this stock, but there's something I want you to do. Don't look at it. Do not look at it one time. And so, purchased the stock and things started out well, but what did Nathan do? What do you think Nathan did? Yeah, started looking at it multiple times a day. I did this. It's what Jeroboam did with Shechem. Put up the walls, put up the defenses, and hold on to it. I was a mess. It's exactly what Jeroboam is doing here. And there's, there's something here we've got to see because it really speaks to our human nature that in, in the face of pain, whether real or perceived, we will choose short-term comfort over a long-term benefit or a long-term promise. In the face of pain, we will always focus on getting short-term comfort over the long-term benefit. It happens over and over. So, back to our 7.1 mile, 7 mile run. Okay, you can imagine. If you're familiar with this area, running down Pierce, and the first 200 yards are great because what are the first 200 yards south on Pierce from Columbine? Downhill. I, was, I was 200 yards into it. I was like, I'm such a, I'm a gazelle. I'm a cheetah. I'm a gazeta. All right? And then the next uh, 200 yards, a half mile, what is it? It's uphill. Yep. So I get to about King Supers. And suddenly, you know, there's this thing that's very real, lactic acid that builds up when you, when you work out. And um, so it's like hitting me hard. And we're not even a mile into this run yet. And I got to King Supers, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's a girl back there I like. When I run, just you need to know this about me, I get super, super red. Like, have you seen Willy Wonka, the girl who eats the blueberry, how blue she gets? That's how red I get when I run, okay? And I'm like, she can't see me like this. Like, this hurts. And I suddenly realized, I don't have the legs of a gazelle. And I don't, I don't really have the body of a cheetah. I've got Thanks, Mom and Dad, I've got short little bare legs trying to make this run. And, and I've got the body of a rhino, it felt like. I was, I was like a bear-noceros is how I felt, okay? And so, do you think in that moment that this long-term benefit, this long-term promise that the coach had given us, do you think that was anywhere near the front of my mind? That you'll have a foundation for the season? No. I was about to quit the season right here, okay? Because that's what happens. What happens is we lose sight of the long term and we zoom in. Suddenly we see the current stretch of map that we're on. Now, before we get back to the passage, can, can I just ask a question? What's that area right now? What's that area that might hurt a little bit? And I'm not talking about something maybe toxic that, that it may be beneficial to get out of. I'm talking about the area of life where you know God's promise for that area. 
but the pain, it hurts. And, and I can't really see the long-term promise here, God, and I can't really see the long-term benefit. I just see the pain. What's that area? Where has he assured you maybe long, long ago, but you're right now wondering, is that promise still valid? Are, are you still there? All right, well, back to our story, because what we're about to see is exactly what, how we know we're actually starting pursue, to pursue that short-term comfort. Take a look at what, he, what it says in uh, verse 28. First three words, after seeking advice. Isn't that interesting? He's already been given assurance. He's already been given a promise from God, and yet he's seeking the opinions of others. I saw this through the years working with teenagers, and, and every time this happened, it was like somebody holding up a mirror to me because this is exactly what I, I still do, but I did this a ton as a teenager. I'd have uh, teen, teenagers come to me and say, hey, okay, I know what it says in here, but there's this situation. Do you think it's okay to, can I just, can I just hate that person? And I was sitting there going, well, what's it say? Uh, well, I, I, know, I know what it says, but there's this party. There's this relationship. Well, what's it say? What does it say? After seeking advice, there's one of my favorite authors to read, Paul Tripp. He says it this way. We often look horizontally, we look to our left and right for that which can only be fulfilled vertically. In other words, if he's already made it clear, then why the looking left and right? Easy to say, right? Easy to say. You'll find out in a minute as we continue our seven-mile run. Anyway, so it continues. After seeking advice, and it just goes downhill from here, the king made two golden calves. Okay, haven't we seen this before? You remember, they were in the desert, and Moses went up the mountain to meet with God, and while Moses is gone, what do they do? They make a golden calf, a golden calf. These guys are trying to double the fun, okay? Two golden calves. It's not going to go well. <clears throat> he said to the people, it is too much. It is too much. I mean, you've had all these years of hard labor. Life has been hard. It's been harsh. It is too much for you to go up to do what? To go up to Jerusalem. What was Jerusalem for them? It was the place of worship. To go to Jerusalem was to obey, to live in obedience to God. And yet Jeroboam says, no, it's too much. Do you want to know what the giant of comfort shouts? Very, actually he whispers it, very, very subtly in each of our ears. It's too much. It's too much. I mean, when you look in here and when you look at what God has asked you to do, when you look at the promise he's given you and, and what he's asking of you, it's too much. It's too much. And when we begin to believe that obedience to him is too much, well, we do what Jeroboam did next. Here are your gods, Israel. He's holding up two golden calves right now. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. Now, I, for this to really come to life, we got to look at the map, okay? Look at this map. So you have 
Shechem and Jerusalem. Anybody from anywhere in that nation, where did they go worship? Jerusalem, okay? And so what does, what does Jeroboam do? Well, this is very strategic. Look at where these towns that he placed the, the calves are located. Where's Bethel? Direct line of sight from Shechem to Jerusalem. And Dan is where? Completely the opposite direction. And there's something about us we have to know here. That not only in the face of pain do we pursue short-term comfort over a long-term benefit, but we also, we also, we know we're pursuing short-term comfort. We're pursuing comfort on our terms when we begin to choose what's most convenient on our terms. We know we're pursuing comfort in the short term when we choose what's most convenient on our terms. So, running down Pierce, okay? Those of you who know this area, let's just, let's just travel the map, okay? Running south on Pierce, we've passed King Supers. And what's after King Supers? There, there's a little shopping plaza and a gas station. And then you've got this stretch of what? Just houses, neighborhood, okay? You run down Pierce, you get to Ken Carroll, and years ago there was a, there was a shop, a grocery store, remember? Safeway, right there on the corner of Ken Carroll and Pierce. And then on the south side of Safeway, there was a bank. It's gone now too. But what was on the south side of the bank? Dairy Queen. And for somebody who couldn't feel, for a baronoceros to see Dairy Queen, angels. Angels singing. So I got this friend who luckily had the idea before me because I could blame him later. Anyway, he said, oh my gosh, guys, I have an idea. Because of the route we got to go, see how we're going to circle right back around? Let's stop in Dairy Queen. And we'll just hang out until the people who are at the front of the line, they get back, we'll let them go a little, and then we'll jump in. I was like, guys, I don't know. They're like, Nathan, large Butterfinger Blizzard. I was like, I'm in. I am in. Let's do this. And so usually I get a small or a medium, but it was so hot, and I was in so much pain. Large Butterfinger Blizzard. More on that in a few minutes. <laughs> you know where this is going. How convenient. Dairy Queen. And, and the rest of that route, you got to know, there's not much. There is not much. It's neighborhoods. Maybe a little shopping plaza. That was way. That was like, that was like 200 yards away or something. That was way too far to run. So, stopped in Dairy Queen, but it's so convenient. Now let me ask one more question, because maybe an area flashed through your brain, a, a place of pain, right now, where you feel like you've had God's promise and His assurance. But let me ask you another thing: in the face of that pain, what? convenient options are coming up right now. What would be really, really convenient right now? Is it to hate that person? Is it to walk away? What is it? Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's just situational. And it's just the least convenient thing to do would be to be patient and to wait. What is it? Well, we see how God felt about all this. Verse 30. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to 
to worship the other. Isn't it interesting? I mean, just look at this map at the, the very literal placement of these idols, okay? Yes, this is, this is really what he did, okay? But the giant of comfort, you know what he does? He either wants to put something in the way of our obedience or draw us completely away from obedience. And, and there's, a, there's a takeaway here. And it's simply this, that stopping at the place of convenience is never a substitute. It is never a substitute for going to the place of obedience. Do I want my life to worship and glorify God? Then stopping at the place of convenience is never a substitute for going to the place of obedience. Now, you read this passage, and it's like, so, like, did, did this thing come up at all? And it did, but it was centuries later, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, but I think there are a couple things we have to know as we read this passage. And I think that the two things that this passage really did for me as I sat with it is it raised my awareness to how the giant of comfort wants to operate. Because he often uses convenience. And, and all you have to do is look at the next two verses to see exactly the specifics of how he goes about it. Look at this. Verse 31. Jeroboam built shrines. There were objects. It was things. Isn't it interesting how one of the things that makes us really, really comfortable is if I have my things in place. That can be literal things and stuff. Or it could just be the things of life. As long as everything looks, things look the way I want them to, then I'm good. Jeroboam built shrines. And, and he already had this promise from God, I'll build it. I'll build it. If you'll just walk in obedience to me, I will build the whole thing for you. I'll build your dynasty. I'll build a kingdom. I'll give you Israel. And yet what you see here is Jeroboam go, well, but I want my things in place. I want something convenient, and I want something comfortable. It continues, Jeroboam built shrines on high places and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. This was one of the things God asked them to be obedient to at that time. If you appointed a priest, they came from the Levites. Jeroboam goes, well, not just my things. I want, I want my kind of people in there. My things my people. And then he does a third thing. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the festival held in, in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. In other words, the festival in Judah was not enough for Jeroboam. He said, you know what? I want, I want people to come worship my things and follow my people and do it my way. Now you look at that and you go, oh, Jeroboam, yikes. And as I read that, I thought, oh, Jeroboam, yikes. And then I thought, oh, Nathan, yikes. Because the setting that this whole passage is set in, fittingly in light of the survey that we're talking about, is worship. And oftentimes, isn't this what we do? I want it to look, I want my things in place. And, and I want my people in place. And, and I want to do it my way. And what we forget is God said, no, I want you to do it my way. If you'll just walk 
in my ways, I have an incredible promise to fulfill. Because our things, our people, our ways, you know what? They'll let us down. So you can imagine. We began to see, uh, coming up Ken Carroll, the, the leaders of the pack running back, and they're, tur they're turning up Pierce, and we went, okay, it's probably time for us to start running back to Columbine with a large blizzard in my stomach. <sighs> Have you ever tried to run after you've had a blizzard? Oh, man. I, okay, somehow I made it back to Columbine, and um, there was kind of like a team huddle. I don't know what was said because I wasn't in that huddle. I was behind the bushes and uh, losing everything, just losing everything. In fact, I went home that night, and if you don't think the conscience is a real thing, I, I told my mom, she might as well have grabbed me by the ear and dragged me to the coach because she said, you're going to tell him tomorrow. It was the scariest day of my life still to this day, scariest day of my life. He said, oh, I know. I know you took a shortcut. I was like, did you see us at Dairy Queen? He said, no, I, I saw everything you ate behind the bushes. <laughs> he said, I got to be honest, it looked pretty fresh still. <laughs> But that's what we've got to be aware to, is how the giant of comfort operates. Oftentimes, we want our things, our people, do it our way. And it'll let us down. But the other piece that this passage should raise for us is an awareness of how our Heavenly Father operates. Because centuries later, God shows up in the flesh and throughout the Gospels, you see this thing that Jesus keeps repeating to his disciples. And, and he says it three times, three different times, on three different occasions. He says, I must go to where? Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem, where I will suffer. And I will be killed, and I will be raised to life. And it's so interesting because there were so many maybe more comfortable options, maybe more convenient options along the way. One time he said this, and Peter, his disciple, said, you don't have to do that, Jesus. You don't have to go there. You'll never, we won't let you go there. And it would have been convenient, and it would have been comfortable, but he went. He said, Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have the things of God in mind. And so he went. Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He's standing in trial. Over and over in the Gospels, if you look through them, he shut, he's able to just give a word, give a question. And the people who have heard all of it, they walk away with no response. They just sit with it in their hearts. He's standing in trial. They give him a chance to speak on his own behalf. He who could have said anything, God himself could have said anything. And he remained silent. Might have felt good to defend himself. Might have been convenient, but he remained silent. As he heads to the cross at the end of Matthew, we read, and this is where I, I'm yelling at my Bible usually when I'm reading this, he says, it says that he could have called down legions of angels to stop this whole thing from happening. And as I read that, I go, do it, do it. And yet, he didn't. And most of the time when he said this, it just went right over his disciples' heads. But I think they began to get it in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Third time he has said this to them. Verse 32 says, They were on their way up 
to Jerusalem. With Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. They were astonished, probably because they thought, what is happening? We've not ventured out of this kind of comfort zone before. We've not gone to this place before. They were astonished. While those who followed him were afraid. Because if they're anything like you and me, all they see is pain coming. And this is not comfortable. Again, he took the 12, excuse me, took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. And look at this statement. We are going up to Jerusalem. You want to know why? Because to Jesus, Jerusalem was the place of his obedience. He had been obedient all the way up, but this was the place of his obedience. This is where his life would give glory to God. This is where his life would bring its fullest worship to God. Because Jesus knew that this was also the place where God would fulfill that long-term promise. Forgiveness for you and for me. Jesus knew that stopping at the place of convenience is never a substitute for going to the place of obedience. It's never a substitute. And you know what he did? Somewhere in his, his life here on earth, Mark chapter 8 tells us, he turned to his followers and he said, if you want to follow me, well, you've got to take up your cross as well. It's not going to be convenient. It's not going to be comfortable. But that's obedience. You got to take up your cross. And I got to be honest. If, if you and I, if, if your life and my life is a journey like this map, if our lives are a journey, God has marked out a path for us in which he asks us to take up the cross of Jesus Christ. He asks us to take that up. He says, that will glorify me. That will bring worship to me. That will tell others about a promise that's been fulfilled in their lives as well. And I'm, I hope I don't make anybody upset, but you and I, were also all like, you're a Baranoceros and I'm a Baranoceros, okay? You probably won't hear that in a sermon from now on, but we don't have the strength to make that journey. We don't. That journey, your ability to make that journey, my ability to make that journey, it all depends on, it all hinges on, it rises or falls on the ability of Jesus to be obedient to his journey. And when you look at it that way, aren't you glad he didn't stop before he got to Jerusalem? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, you are a God who, <laughs> you truly are patient with us. And for all that you've mapped out for our lives, we know that without Jesus being obedient to the journey that he had to take, without him being obedient to that and turning and giving us his spirit to empower us, to strengthen us to take that journey, we're lost. And so, in your patience, you saw us and you see us and you know that you want to empower us 
We have only to look to you, to trust in Jesus' obedience. So make us aware. Make us aware of where the giant of comfort is trying to get in, the specifics he's trying to work in. Open our eyes to it because it's so subtle. But Heavenly Father, also open our eyes to the obedience of your son because without that, we're lost. And so as we, as we um, look toward closing the series next week, um, remind us this week of the journey he took on our behalf, that he went the whole way in obedience and prepare our hearts, Heavenly Father, for the outpouring of your spirit because that's what enables the journey to happen to take up our cross. In Jesus' name, amen. West Bulls, have a great week. We'll see you next week.